I knew the moment she entered the basement where we podcast, she was going to be trouble. Was she here because she needed me or just because she was looking for somewhere to park her fuzzy cheeks on? She said her name was Harley and she needed help. Her owners were missing. They usually fed her at five o'clock sharp, only today something different happened. Today, this time, it was 5.01 and the food bowl was still empty. Emptier than a screening of threads on Christmas Eve, if you know what I mean. And she needed my help to locate them. And just like that, she was out of there faster than Marty Scorsese leaving a Marvel screening. I knew she'd use me and leave me, but I didn't think it'd be so soon. Okay, I'm back. I fed the little monster. Let's podcast! Welcome to, to another, another episode, episode of... <laughs> Sorry, I forgot how we podcast. Yep. Spice <laughs> together. together. Wait, we should say it like a noir. Spice together, baby. <laughs> That's pretty good. I can't top that. Okay. <laughs> I'm Harper. There's a speed limit in this state, Mr. Neff. 45 miles an hour. How fast was I going, officer? I'd say around 90. Suppose you get down off your motorcycle and give me a ticket. Suppose I let you off with a warning this time. Suppose it doesn't take. Suppose I have to whack you over the knuckles. Suppose I bust out crying and put my head in your shoulder. Suppose you try putting it on my husband's shoulder. That tears it. And I'm the Dame Michelle. Is that all you can see in it? Just a hard chair to park your pants on from nine to five, huh? Just a pile of papers to shuffle around and five sharp pencils and a scratch pad to make figures on. Maybe a little doodling on the side. Am I a dame? You're a dame. It makes me a dick, though. Oh, <laughs> Private dick. Uh, so this episode, we decided uh, to do, finally, to join film Twitter and everywhere else and do... They got us. Noir-vember. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> so we're going to talk about five noirs that we watched recently. Some classics, some more modern neo-noir kind of stuff. Um, and just, uh, you know... Get into the mood. The mood of noir. I've taken up smoking. Oh, and I have an alcohol problem yeah. now. <laughs> and Harley is walking around in high heels like she owns the place. That's right. <laughs> so, so, Harper, <laughs> what, what is noir? <laughs> well, I'm so glad you asked. Yeah, uh, what, what is it? <laughs> well, it's funny because when we were um, picking out our movies for noir, we were like, does this count? Does this count? When like, you watch is... it, you know. <laughs> well, you might not, because it even, like, basically all the stuff I was reading online, all the definitions, all of them were like, oh, it's hotly debated, and, like, nobody can really define no it for sure. No really but... knows, but it has a snazzy di- dialogue. <laughs> well, here's some here's some history and some trademarks uh, of okay. film noir. So, film noir is a cinematic term. It's used to describe uh, primarily uh, stylized Hollywood crime dramas, particularly those that emphasize cynical attitudes and motivations. 
that's uh that's the part that I typically have latched onto. It's usually cynical and like the main characters are doomed from the beginning because they make bad decisions. Um, no! Exactly. <laughs> uh, the 40s and 50s are generally regarded as the classic period of American film noir. Um, film noir of this area is associated with low-key black and white visual style that has roots in German expressionist cinematography. That's important too. Um, and that's meaning like typically like the real... Uh, expressionistic shadows, like, you know... Very sharp. Yeah, a lot Between of sharp light shadows. light and dark. <laughs> of, like, you know, blinds. And uh, and also German expressionist stuff, meaning everything's a little surreal. Like, you get a lot of, like, Dutch angles and stuff like that. What is a Dutch angle? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, 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 many of prototypical stories and much of the attitude of classic noir derived from the hard-boiled school of crime fiction that emerged in the U.S. during the Great Depression. So, like, Batman. Mm, sure. Detective Comics. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, definitely, like, Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett, that kind of, those kind of books that were real popular at the time. Um, so, we found this interesting quote that we thought we'd use. So, it's from a book, um, called A Panorama of American Film Noir that came out in 1955. Um, and the quote says, we'd be oversimplifying things in calling film noir... Uh, how did we decide this was pronounced? I think it was oneric. Oneric. Uh, strange, erotic, ambivalent, and cruel. This uh, set of attributes constitutes the first of many attempts to define film noir. So those are five five ways that you can define them. So we're going to talk about each of these movies, whether they kind of fit into those categories. Um, so those authors also, they emphasize that not every noir film has all five attributes, but one might be more dreamlike and another one more brutal. Um, but uh, basically, uh, re- defining film noir remains, quote, an elusive phenomenon. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. So elusive. <laughs> so, yeah, because we watched a few that we were like, I don't know, is this just a crime movie? <laughs> like, for example, we watched Dial M for Murder, and we were like, I don't know if this counts. I don't think it does. I mean, sort of, kind of, sort of, but yeah. <laughs> but we didn't end up choosing that one. So, should we run down the five that we're going to talk about before we jump into the first one, or what? Sure. So, why don't you do that? So, we're going to talk about these in chronological order, but our first one will be Double Indemnity, and then Out of the Past, third, number three will be The Third Man. Oh! Oh! <laughs> then Blood Simple, in closing with L.A. Confidential. Yeah, so ranging from... Three... A lot of 40s, and then a lot of two later stuff. <laughs> yeah, then 80s and 90s. <laughs> so, let's, why don't we jump right in? All right, but you have to tell me what Oneric is again. <laughs> uh, it's like surreal, dreamlike. Okay, okay. All right, so let's get into the noir. <laughs> First movie, Double Indemnity, came out in 1944, uh, directed by... Nope, starting the episode over. Yep. Uh, so, directed by Billy Wilder, uh, a Los Angeles insurance representative lets an alluring housewife seduce him into a scheme of insurance fraud and murder that arouses the suspicion of his colleague, an insurance investigator. Who would have thought that would happen? Tagline. From the moment they met, it was murder! That's Exclamation a, That's point. a great A noir tagline. <laughs> uh, 
So Billy Wilder, the director, has also done a lot of good ones. Sunset Boulevard, Some Like It Hot in the Apartment. Sunset Boulevard being another super classic film noir that we could have chosen. Yeah, but everybody does that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good one. It was written by Billy Wilder and Raymond Chandler, who also wrote The Big Sleep and Strangers on a Train. And lots of novels. And it's based on a novel by James M. Kane. Yeah. Uh, it stars Fred McMurray. Who's, From the apartment. Who's maybe <laughs> the snappiest talking of all the men we're going to talk about on this episode. He is pretty snappy. Yeah. Um, Barbara Stanwyck. Who I was surprised. I was like, oh, yeah, I know that name. Certainly we've seen her in other stuff. She's been in a ton of other movies, but I didn't really recognize, or I recognized, but I hadn't seen any of the other ones. Yeah. Um, this So this is probably her most famous thing, I think. Uh, and Edward G. Robinson, who he's in a lot of stuff too, a lot of classic crime movies and stuff, but Soylent I Green. I saw him in Soylent Green. He plays the older, older gentleman. He's great in it. Does he like Silent Green? Is he like, mm, mm, mm? No, he sacrifices himself to figure out the truth behind Soylent Green. So he becomes Silent. He becomes meat. Mm. <laughs> um, so let's talk about first reactions. Well, we had both seen this before, I think, right? But it had been a really, really long time. Yeah, for and sure. And then I didn't remember most of it until like the train sequence. And it was like, oh, yeah, now I remember. There's so much going on. <laughs> this is about as classic a noir as it gets. Yeah. Uh, this is like peak noir. Um, nobody would question whether this is. Yeah, I think this one's pretty interesting because it starts off like you kind of start with the beginning, which uh, is a nice yeah. format. So you know that the main character is probably going to die because he's been shot and he's confessing all his sins to his coworker. Yeah, it's such a great like narrative construct that yeah, he's literally he's recording his confession and that's what we're yeah. watching. And as he's recording this bullet wound on his shoulder, it's the blood bigger. just gets yeah. bigger and bigger every time we cut back to him. It's such a cool conceit. And then it's also interesting because you know from you know the exact plan that they're about to do because he talks it through. He's like, "This is going to be the perfect way to get away with murder." Yeah. But then it's more about like all the things that go wrong and whether or not like the people are going to suspect that they murdered this guy instead of the accident that they made it out to be. Yeah, and well, and it's clever because like he's an insurance salesman, so he knows a how to get the most out of the scam. Yeah, and b how to get away with it. At least he thinks so. Um, and uh, it's super interesting because like he didn't like plan. He's not like a murderer, a guy who's like you know looking for a place to scam. He meets this woman, and she's like kind of hinting at it that like she wants to get her husband out of the way and stuff, yeah. and he falls in love with her, and that's. So she's this. So she's also very much like the most perfect example of a femme fatale. Like she, like you know, seduces him into like a life of crime. And it doesn't take much for him to be seduced, though. Uh, okay. Well, here I've got a piece of <laughs> trivia for you that will explain it a little bit. He's but, just like, okay, let's murder this bitch. <laughs> so you remember how he constantly is uh, is uh, talking about her anklet, yeah, and referring to it. Apparently, at the time, at least, this is an, maybe an urban legend, but it said a married woman who wears an anklet is so to indicate that she is married but available. Oh. So perhaps that had something I to do with it. I didn't know that. I didn't either. <laughs> I thought it was just like, whoa, ankle. Yeah. Like, Baby. She's showing her ankles. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, it's definitely femme fatale because yeah, she like kind of seduces him into like getting what she wants out of him and kind of, you know, is throwing him by the mm-hmm. wayside. Um, hey, <laughs> good for her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get that. How much was it? I can't remember. Oh, it's like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. You remember when he pulls up to her house, which is like this gorgeous yeah. like house in California or whatever. And he's like, wow, this thing must've cost her 30,000 yeah. bones. <laughs> It's like, wow. It's like my Prius. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, any other like specific story stuff? Well, we can get more into like, I guess their performances later. But yeah, overall, the story is super interesting. And knowing what's going to happen, it's like, how do we get there? How do we get from him being just an insurance agent to him with a bullet wound in his chest yeah well and i'm curious to think too like and i didn't do any kind of research on this but like how many movies at this point were doing this kind of like out of order non-linear storytelling i don't know that's a very common noir thing yeah. because like you know it's ended badly and now we're gonna find out how you get there yeah um but yeah i don't know if that was really common in 44 already or not i don't know um but yeah uh, yeah, I mean, this is a classic one. And I'm actually really eager to see... We, we ended up watching it online somewhere. Um, but I really want to get that 4K because I keep... if Somebody recently was talking about how good it looks. Yeah, and the I'd Criterion like one. Yeah, that's pretty new. Um, should we talk about our Is It Noir? We should. All right. I don't really have a noir button. Is though. it noir? Is it noir? What would be noir? I'll just hit duh. If it's right. (laughs) All right. So is it oneric or oneric? I still don't remember how we said pronounce it. Is it surreal? (laughs) It's probably less surreal from some of the other ones. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's one on our list or a couple on our list that are particularly surreal. This is a little lower on the surreal scale. Yeah. But it does definitely have that like very strong shadow, Mm -hmm. shadow play stuff. So that that kind of goes in with it. Mm. You don't. It doesn't have to have a sound. Uh, it should be a, a, a muted tr- uh, trumpet. Um, is it strange? Which I think kind of goes along with that same idea. It's a little strange as far as it's not just straight murder, it's insurance. Or yeah. do you mean strange in a different way? No, I mean what in when any anyway. Not strange. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Is it erotic? Duh. <laughs> yeah for sure there's definitely a lot of like talking around uh the fact that these two they folks, want a boink they want a boink bad. big, big time <laughs> your uh your quote is did you end up picking that quote that's like uh oh no you didn't but there's like that whole sequence when she, he's like suppose i want to I might want to come back. And she's like, suppose you did. And he's like, suppose, suppose I, I want to honk your boobs. And she's like, suppose that I want to honk a car horn. Yeah, <laughs> it just goes back and forth. It does go much. on for an absurd amount of time. A lot of supposing. <laughs> yeah, but certainly her seduction is definitely uh, in the erotic camp. Of, that's what <laughs> that's what uh, throws him off the cliff. Yeah. Uh, is it ambivalent, which I'm taking to say like morally ambivalent, I'd say. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> uh, it's, it's also because he he doesn't seem to think about the murder part that much. He's no. like, I guess we'll just murder him. Yeah. 
Well, and to make it look like an accident. He doesn't seem to have any qualms about it. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. He's very much like, oh, this lady's hot. So, yeah, I totally mean, worth her it. husband's got to die, right? <laughs> yeah. So, definitely very morally ambivalent. Um, but I guess also maybe he's just used to seeing dead people because, like, his boss talks about, like, or they're just used to death more. Yeah, that's true. It's like, all the suicide rates they talk about and yeah. stuff like that is very, like, technical. Mm-hmm. and less uh, moral. Which that might play into the next one. Is it cruel? Uh, which, yeah, I think it definitely is. In that sense, like you just said, like it's very much they're just like talking about death and suicide like it's nothing just because that's their job. And they don't want to pay out. Yeah. And it's cruel in the sense that, I mean, obviously they kill this guy for just for money. And and uh, what's, what's, it, what's the lady's? Phyllis, which is the least like yeah. sexy name ever <laughs> now. Maybe it was at the time. Phyllis. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, she's definitely very cruel in like the way she eventually kind of reveals who she really is and what she really wants out of the situation. Also, there's a lot of kind of double crossing with her potentially too. So she's pretty cruel. So did that get the, yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, and then I also put on here, like, does this have any of the, the major tropes? What are the major tropes? I mean, when you think about film noir, black and white. Yeah, black and white, <laughs> like smoky exterior, like interiors. Actually, like there is a scene, narration. There is narration. There's a scene where he walks in and he's like, I could still see the smoke from the party before. And it's like, oh, you can when he's waiting in the living room. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty smoky in there. <laughs> um, so is, does trope. it involve like a private eye, which this is not a private eye, but it is an investigator. So kind of, yeah. Um, but yeah, it does have a lot of the kind of standard tropes. I mean, a femme fatale is one of the tropes, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a murder that's planned for money. Like that's one of the tropes for sure. So yeah, this hits a lot of the major tropes for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what else do you want to talk about with this movie, Michelle? What well, else? let's talk about the two main or the three main people's performances real quick. Sure. So we kind of talked about Fred McMurray. Mm-hmm. He's he's a decent decent performance. I don't know why he just jumps into murder right away. But uh, Barbara St- Michelle anklet. Oh, uh, what yeah. else I have to say? I keep forgetting about the anklet. Yeah, I mean, if you if if you showed me your anklet, I mean, I'd be <laughs> killing people left and right. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Uh, how about some life insurance policies? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but Barbara Stanwyck, so she's pretty, like, elaborate. Yeah. There's a lot of layers to her, and she has really killer eyewear. That's true. <laughs> she has great fashion sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really like, I don't think we talked about Edward G. Robinson as much. Yeah. Because he's kind of like... It's he's just like he always has a gut feeling about everything. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the, the little man the moral inside. compass that he has or something. So he kind of balances out the whole story because he's it's not the police after them. It's him. Yeah. Like, and he's like has uh, been working with him for like 20 years or whatever. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Well, and he's that the one that, that he's confessing to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which makes the ending really interesting. Because they would get away with it because the cops are dumb. Mm-hmm. and But it's the insurance people who will get you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because Lord knows they don't want to pay out. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I have some interesting miscellaneous trivia about this movie. Tell me. So the movie was nominated for seven Academy Awards, but it lost most of them to Going My Way. Never Actually, it heard lost of it. all of them to yeah, exactly. Some movie that nobody <laughs> remembers probably. Um, it says Billy Wilder was so seriously annoyed at Leo McCary, who I guess directed that one, uh, his sweep that when McCary's name was called for best director, Wilder stuck his foot in the aisle and tripped McCary. Mm. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> I mean, at least he didn't slap him, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did this for most of these movies because a lot of these are in like the very highest rated stuff on. A lot of the online things. So, uh, Double Indemnity in IMDb's Top 250 is number 104. In Letterboxd Top 250, it's number 166. AFI 100, it's number 29. Very high. BFI, number 196. Uh, it was nominated for seven Oscars, and like most of the movies that we're going to talk about, it's been admitted into the National Film Registry, So, meaning it's preserved for all time. Nice! Good idea. It is a good idea. And in Harper's heart, it's number one. <laughs> uh, it's one of your favorites, though, right? Oh, for sure. It's definitely one of my favorite noirs. It's not my favorite noir. We're you not... were like, I love this movie so much. Well, it's definitely one of the best <laughs> ones ever made, for sure. Um, but yeah, my personal favorite we're not actually talking about because we've talked about it several times on the podcast before. Which is? Kiss Me Deadly. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I wanted to talk about no our, anklets in that one on our meltdown episode, mm. um, but yeah. So obviously, it's a pretty beloved, beloved uh, noir flick for sure. Yes, some for good reason. Um, how about we talk about some of our favorite snappy lines? Because there's some. This one's got some real good ones. Some doozies. <laughs> what All was right, yours? yours first or mine? You do yours first. Mine's a little long. So let me stop eating this Skittle. (laughs) (laughs) You think you're such a hot potato as a claims manager, such a wolf on a phony claim. Maybe you are, but let's look, take a look at the (laughs) Dietrichson claim. Accident and double indemnity. Is that the title? (laughs) You were pretty good in there for a while, Keys. You said it wasn't an accident. Check. You said it wasn't suicide. Check. You said it was murder. Check. Hey. <laughs> it was murder. He got that it. That was uh this is McMurray saying that. Yeah, I think it's his narration. So mine is uh um Edward G. Robinson's line. He says, uh, a desk job, is that all you can see in it? Just a hard chair to park your pants on from nine to five? <laughs> Which is the number one thing from these normies that we've been quoting lately. Yeah, like, Harley, come pants. park your pants over here. <laughs> park your pants. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, so good though. So good. Uh, yeah, this is the snappy dialogue out the wazoo in this one. It was when we were watching it and they kept going back and forth with the supposing. Mm-hmm. I was like, this would be the most annoying conversation to have in real life with someone. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know what's being said anymore. Like, suppose I give you, write you a ticket. Uh, suppose <laughs> I sign the ticket. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> Look, lady, I'm just trying to get to the anklet. <laughs> um, what's your favorite scene in this one? All right, so my favorite scene is the bait and switch when their evil plan goes into action. Yeah. Because it's all been timed out and we don't know exactly all the details leading up. We're yeah, like, they do why a great does he have to that. like wear a suit? Why does he need a fake cast? Because I don't think I realized until later that, like, oh, they're going to kill the husband before. 
but then he's going to pretend to be the husband and fall off the train instead of just like pushing the husband off the train, uh-huh. which would have been probably more complicated. But then also just as the scene is playing out, you get into the like things they couldn't account for. Like there's someone on the back of the caboose. Who's very talkative. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, well, how do I get rid of him without him seeing my face? Because I'm going to be walking around after this. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like after, then he, after he gets off, then like the car won't start. Yeah. It's like, Ugh. Yeah. So there's a lot of little like moments where you're like. <gasps> Definitely very tense. Yeah, for sure. Like, will they do it? Will they won't? <laughs> it's a great, it's a great scheme. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I agree. It's a great one. Um, I really like, so after, so basically it's right after they really think they're in the clear, mm-hmm. like the boss at the insurance place, not the investigator, but the boss has like tried to pull one over. Cause he's like, I don't want to pay off this huge claim. He like tries to say it's suicide and Phyllis is all like indignant about it and upset. And so they're about to drop that. But so, um, basically they think they've gotten away with it. Yeah. And she calls and is like, Hey, I want to come up to your apartment supposing <laughs> I come up there. Um, and so he like, uh, here's a knock at his door right after that. And he's like, Oh, it must be Phyllis coming over to show me her anklet. And, uh, he opens the door and it's keys. Energy Robinson. <gasps> he's like, there's just something not right about this. So it's right as they think they've gotten away with it. And then also he knows that she's about to come up to his apartment. It's yeah. like, if she knocks on that door. Like we're found out. Completely. Yeah. So it's super tense. It's really tense. And it's also like, when the plot like turns and you know, things are about to go bad. Yeah. And they're about to turn on each other. That's right. So I really like that scene a lot. I think it's really cool. Um, what else? So what do you think makes this? Obviously we've talked a lot about how this is a great movie, but what makes this a standout noir? Like, why is it such a great one? I mean, we've talked about the dialogue. It's the snappiest um, so like, snappy, I'll give you a whiplash. Yeah, I was gonna say, I like what you wrote, <laughs> your own snappy uh, line about it. But I also think it's like, it's not straightforward. It's pretty complex and complicated and there's great twist and the characters are memorable. Yeah. I don't think it's the twistiest one we're going to talk about, but it is pretty twisty. Probably not the twistiest. It's pretty twisty for sure. And it does have great characters. And... I'd say in a lot of cases, some of these characters are very much like the uh, archetypes for a lot of the noir characters that we're going to see. I totally agree uh, with all of that. Um, uh, I think it's just got such a lot of like perfect examples of a lot of the standards, like, like you said, snappy dialogue and a clever plot with good twists and stuff. Uh, One of the best femme fatales for sure. And the, the framing narrative, the whole thing of him like confessing while he's dying out is such a brilliant way to do it. And is like the perfect definition of a film noir. Like your main yeah. character is dying <laughs> and you know he's not going to make it. And here's why. Like that's that's noir in a nutshell for sure. Um, any other thoughts about double indemnity? Are you surprised they never made a sequel called triple indemnity? Or single indemnity? They did remake this just in like the indemnity. 70s. Lose the double. Just <laughs> lose the double. <laughs> I wonder if that uh, that sequel is any good at all. It's, I mean, not sequel, but uh, remake. That's super I'm going to guess no. Well, it's, di- man, damn it. It's directed by somebody who directed another one we were going to watch, I think. Um, I'm totally blanking on who who it was or what that other movie was. And this is terrible podcasting right now. <laughs> uh, but I will Oh, do we out. need our, our music? Uh, not again. It's 
not very... actually noirish. Though. So this this uh, remake has actually a D, it has a three point five, a three on Letterboxd. So it's not bad. It stars uh, Samantha Eggers. So that's kind of cool. Hmm. But it's directed by Jack Smite, who also directed Harper, a movie we watched literally last Just night. Just watched it. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> we love movies named Harper. Yeah. But anyways, uh that's enough about remakes. Yeah. So what'd you rank it? What did I how many Rate stars? It. Uh four and a half. I went with four, but it could be four and a half. It is very solid. Yeah, it's and it's it's a lot of fun to watch too. It's very yeah. like especially for you know, an older movie. Mm-hmm. It's very super watch all of these were super watchable, like yeah. just really engaging and fun to watch. So, I think that means we're moving on to number two. Moving on up to Out of the Past from 1947. So, Out of the Past. Jeff Bailey seems to be a mundane gas station owner in remote Bridgeport, uh, California. He is dating local girl Ann Miller and lives a quiet life, but Jeff has a secret past, and when a mysterious stranger arrives in town, Jeff is forced to return to the dark world he had tried to escape. Sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? Really familiar. A man trying to run away from his past. A woman trying to escape her future. Directed by Jacques Tuneau. <laughs> Boy, we, Got know, we know him. Yeah, he has done Cat People, Curse of the Demon, The Leopard Man. I have not seen The Leopard Man. I've heard about it really recently because they showed it at X-Fest, that t- our, uh, the 24-hour horror yeah. film thing this year, and it sounded really fun. And I walked with the zombie. <clears throat> That's right. <laughs> it was written by Daniel Manwaring, who did, I guess, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. And based on his novel... James M. Kane and Frank Fenton were uncredited. So James M. Kane was the last one too, right? That's right. Uh, you say who it's starring. I have to eat more Skittles. So it was based. <laughs> this is confusing, though. Sorry, the way I wrote this. It's based on the novel by the same guy that screen wrote it, Daniel Mainwaring. But James M. Kane, who did write the book that uh, Double Indemnity is based on, has an uncredited writing credit. Along with Frank Fenton. So he probably did like some touch-ups or whatever. For Out of the Past? Yes. That was very confusing. Yeah, very. (laughs) Uh, So, stars? Okay. Robert Mitchum. (laughs) My man. (laughs) So, which we might know him from uh, Cape Fear. Also, Cape Fear. (laughs) Both versions. Cape Fears! Um, Night of the Hunter, Dead Man, Tombstone, Friends of Eddie Coyle. That one was weird. (laughs) It was weird. Um, Man, sorry. Jane Greer, who uh, I didn't recognize anything of her. Hey, lady! I don't know. Uh, A Mr. Kirk Douglas. Amen! Who we know from Paths of Glory, Spartacus, Ace in the Hole, The Fury, of course, <laughs> and Rhonda Fleming. Some other lady. I don't know. <laughs> you go, Rhonda. <laughs> so this was your first time seeing this one, right? Correct. I watched this one back in when I was in film school, uh, and at the time it was one of my favorite noirs, um, I, and I hadn't seen it in like almost 20 years probably. Uh, but what did you think about Out of the Past? So I mostly really thought the cast was crazy. 
With Robert Mitchum and Kirk Douglas in a Who movie together. Hated each other on set. That's funny. You couldn't tell. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um but uh this one was a little bit this one's a little more simple and a little less like less uh twisty that like double indemnity. Very funny to me that you said that because I think this is the most complicated of all the ones we watched. I guess. But also, this one also does a narration, like a flashback, like this is what happened. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. In my memory, that was like the whole movie, like Double Indemnity. Yeah. Is in, but in reality, it's really only like the first part of the story is what he's telling. And then it's just like happening in real time. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think now. Yeah, I liked it. It just wasn't as crazy about it as I thought it was going to be. Okay, okay. Um, I really like this one. Um, I do think the performances are really good. Robert Mitchum is super cool. Um, he is very cool. Uh, and then, yeah, having him compete with the much more like less like calm as a cucumber, <laughs> uh, Kirk Douglas, who's more like the macho man kind of leading man. Yeah. Uh, is really cool. And it's, uh, the really, really good femme fatale with Kathy Jane Greer. Um, yeah. So, um, Let's do our let's do our noir checklist. Is it oneric? Oneric? I don't know. No. <laughs> uh, maybe a little in like the the stuff in the in like Acapulco or whatever in Mexico. Yeah. It feels a little dreamlike. That's true. Okay, it'll be a maybe. <laughs> uh, is it strange? I don't know. Not really. Yeah, I guess maybe maybe you could say like because maybe this hadn't been worn into the ground at this point, but like uh, the idea that like this just kind of average Joe working at the gas station used to be like a hired killer for the yeah. mob. That's kind of like a strange thing, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, is it erotic? There's some eroticism. <laughs> for sure. I mean, he definitely, it's definitely like a love at first sight. He's like becomes obsessed with this woman who he's supposed to be, uh, he's supposed to be bringing to her back because she stole a bunch of money. Yeah, and shot someone who didn't die. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and he Kirk like Douglas. is immediately <laughs> ready to like forgive her for any of that, and is like, uh, yeah, I just want to run away to Mexico with this yeah. lady. No anklet though. Mm, I mean, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and also there was a lot of trivia about how like at the time there was a lot of back and forth with the censor board about this movie because it's heavily implied that she's like sleeping with both men. Yeah. And like, they're like, she's like staying at their apartments or whatever. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd say it's a little erotic. <laughs> um, is it ambivalent? Hell yeah. Very morally <laughs> quest gray. Um, because especially given, I think the most interesting part of the movie is that like Robert Mitchum's character uh, is trying to he like wants to settle down with this like nice girl he's met she's a in nice girl from town and and he's even like telling her like ah, i used to be in love with this woman but uh you know she was bad for me or whatever and um and but she comes back into his life and then he has to like make a decision like okay which which life am i gonna which path am i gonna continue to go down and it's very unclear he can't decide yeah. what to do he keeps being drawn back to this woman, despite the fact that yeah, she turned on Yeah, his town girlfriend is a pretty um, 
I don't know, easygoing if she's okay with all of this going That's on. True. She's like, well, I hope you come back. But He's if you diff- don't, I understand. <laughs> That's not true exactly love. Like that. She's like, you have to prove to me that you don't still love her or whatever. That's that's well, why she wants him to see her again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. He's being pulled down like these two different paths. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it cruel? Yeah. You bet it is, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mostly again on the femme fatale front, and that like she continually she's like a double crosser. She's like a does triple whatever crosser. she wants just to get hers. Definitely, hey, lady! and he's constantly like taking advantage of the fact that he, that she knows he's like in love. He'll with her. do anything, yeah, because uh, of the anklet factor. <laughs> the anklet factor. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she's super cruel, and the ending of the movie is very cruel mm-hmm. for sure. It's a it's a pretty dark ending of this one. Uh, how does this hit some of the tropes? I feel like the cinematography is less moody than mm. some of the other ones. It only plays with like a lot of shadows and blinds, like in a few scenes, because a lot of it's outside. That's true. It's very like sunny California yeah. noir, which I, a lot of them kind of are actually. Yeah. Um, and what other tropes we got? There's a femme fatale. Definitely. Some She's double crossing happening. Uh, there's a lot of smoking. Robert there's Mitchum's a lot always of smoke, smoking. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's he, not really a PI or an no, investigator. He is. Oh well, he was. Yeah, but in, now he's just a gas station clerk. That's true. In his past, <laughs> he was a PI. Uh, there is a narration where he's going back and that's telling true. the story. We got a lot of this. <laughs> so it definitely hits a good good chunk of the tropes. Yeah. Um, so hit me up with some other stuff about out of the past, Misha. I don't have a ton of trivia about this one. Well, Robert Mitchum's great in this. I always, it's always weird with his movies because it's like, am I going to be creeped out by him or think he's awesome? And yeah. this one, he's more awesome than creepy. So that was nice. I'm not creepy, but scary. <laughs> he doesn't have his love hate like pedophile thing going on like in yeah. uh, Night of the Hunter. <laughs> My God, and Kate Fear. <laughs> yeah, Kate Fear too. Um, and then Kirk Douglas was great. Uh, it's, I was, we had to look up like how old is Kirk Douglas though? Cause he's like 30 in this movie and this is the forties. <laughs> it was like, how did he, he like was over a hundred when he passes. Like, this is insane. Yeah. He's crazy. And he looks exactly the same. Yeah, it's true. Um, but does yeah. Michael Douglas have the same little butthole chin? I think he does. They look almost exactly the same. Yeah, they do look very similar. <laughs> so we were when we were watching this movie, we're Michelle like, just kicked going like, how is that even possible? <laughs> it's like someone just pushed it in. Yeah. <laughs> when he was a baby. <laughs> like stuck a pin in his chin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's more of a slow burn. For sure. It's not as snazzy and snappy as uh, Double Indemnity was. No, but it is. it does have some good snappy dialogue. And I do think that, um, I think this one is one of the most like convoluted plots. Like by the end, it was just like, who, who's this guy again? Who's the other person? Like there's so many people yeah, getting killed. Yeah, I guess killed. you're right. I had said it was simple, but it's not because I forgot he like goes all over the place trying to get like money and swapping it's things like, out. And Yeah, because it's like the his like PI partner uh they she kills him the yeah. partner um because he's like onto them and then they're uh Kirk Douglas character finds out about that and they're basically trying to frame Robert Mitchum for everything and then he's trying to as like, revenge cuz yeah, he was with his woman <laughs> he's trying to like get out from under this frame but also like 
you know, maybe get away with the girl, even though he knows she's not, she's done bad things for him or whatever. And yeah, it just gets, it gets so complicated back and forth. It gets by the end, it's very complex and, and you legitimately don't know whether, uh, he plans to go with her or whether he's just going along to get her caught. Yeah. It's very ambivalent. <laughs> yeah. And the ending is, I don't want to spoil it completely, but the ending feels very, uh, like kind of Bonnie and Clyde a little. Yeah. And then I forgot, I kind of wrote this at the end, but it seems like I should talk about now that I think the problem with this is that this story has been obviously an inspiration for a lot of newer movies we've seen. Mm -hmm. So oh, yeah. history of violence and sexy beasts seem very similar in totally. vain. So that's why I'm like, Oh, it's okay. But it's cause I've seen it a lot now. History of violence. <laughs> you know, that's based on a comic book, but that story is feels super familiar. To yeah. This. Yeah. Agreed. Like, agreed. I feel like history of violence. He works at a gas station or something. Maybe <laughs> like it's uh, a very small town and then he gets dragged back in. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very similar idea yeah. for sure. Uh, where he's pretending to be a different person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what are some of our favorite snappy lines from this one? Snappy lines. All right. You can never help anything, can you? You're like a leaf that the wind blows from one gutter to another. Ooh, that's a good one. I think he says it to her because she's just going wherever the money is. I also noticed <laughs> you have his name, which we haven't mentioned. His Jeff. name is Jeff. <laughs> yeah. So many of these names you're like, when you think of classic noirs, you think their name. I don't even know what I think their names are going to be. Like Fred, Frank. <laughs> like, But it's all, all these names Sal. are so goofy. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff. <laughs> Kathy, Phyllis, Phyllis. <laughs> there Walter. Be a Doris somewhere I think wasn't in the here. guy in Dublin Dimity, Walter, Walter, Walter Neff. Neff. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay. Um, my favorite line from uh, Out of the Past, and Kathy says, don't you see, you've only me to make deals with now. And he's, and Jeff says, well, build my gallows high, baby. Yeah, that was the best line. You you got it. Sorry. <laughs> That's also the name of the book, Build My Gallows High. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's got, Robert Mitchum's definitely good at delivering those yeah those uh lines um what are some favorite scenes i apparently didn't write one i told you whoops <laughs> i'll start you think okay um so robert mitchum character suspects that the lawyer guy that he's trying to pump for information or something there's like a whole side plot where like he has to go do this job for the boss but it's actually him about to get framed for yeah, everything. It's it's trying to like, yeah. Yeah. But so he's kind of catching on and he's planning to go back to the lawyer's place to tell him like he needs to get out or whatever, but he enters the apartment and he's already dead. Um, and so he knows he's going to get set up for it. So he takes the body and hides it in a different apartment that's like under construction so that it can save him some time and stop the investigation from starting. And then he uses that to like trick the femme fatale lady. Cause she's like, what do you mean? He, his body isn't there or something. So it sets off this chain reaction of a lot of confusing things. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a good one for sure. Um, I guess, I, I don't know. I really like the ending, which I don't want to totally spoil. Yeah. Um, but I also like, um, basically it's like at the end of that opening act when he's like finished telling his current girlfriend, like the story of like who he used to be and he gets to Kirk Douglas's house and then finds out that she's still alive. Yeah. Kathy is still alive and is with him again. Yeah. With Kirk Douglas again. And he's like, <laughs> you know, like just totally kind of stunned and like, okay, this really complicates things. Um, that's a really good one. Cause that's when kind of, you know, the morally complicated plot really kicks in. Yeah. 
Um, what about, oh, well, I didn't say, so uh, this one is on, uh, wasn't on as many of those like top lists, but I was, I was kind of surprised about because it is definitely one of the classics. Um, it's on the BFI list uh, at number 157, that new one that just came out. Uh, and it's in the National Film Registry. So it is preserved. <laughs> archives. We love archives. <laughs> it's probably on a microfiche. Microfiche. No, would it just be on its reel? <laughs> yeah, probably. <I> know. <laughs> So what makes this one a particularly standout noir, Michelle? Uh, I think this one's a little more low-key, but it has a very interesting main character who is trying to leave his past in life of crime and gets pulled back in. Keep pulling. Yeah, so I think that makes it more standout because this guy has a very complicated backstory. Yeah. And it's like he's trying to side... Does he want to continue a life of crime and passion with his like one night stand lady, or does he want like the simple quiet life with a nice town girl? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. No, I I agree with that too. Um, I said it's uh, an ultra complicated plot, which is another thing I typically kind of associate with a lot of noirs. Um, with the very maybe the most evil scheming femme fatale of the ones we've talked about. Uh, and Robert Mitchum is just like super, super cool in this. He's yeah. like, yeah, nothing phases him. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's always fun to watch. Um, but yeah, so I really liked this one. I think it was seemed like you liked it a little less, but... I still liked it. It just didn't have as much like uh, tension or... It's not quite as know. memorable, maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. Um, I ended up giving it four stars. I gave it four stars as well. So I think we're on to number three. You have to play the music here. All right. Number three is The Third Man. We did not plan that out at all. We sure didn't. The Third Man came out in 1949. In post-war Vienna, Austria, Holly Martins, a writer of pulp westerns arrives penniless as a guest of his childhood chum harry lime these have better weirder names harry lime only to learn that harry lime has died martin (laughs) develops a conspiracy theory after learning of a third man present at the time of harry's death running into interference from british officer major calloway and falling head over heels heels for harry's grief-stricken lover anna anna Anna? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Tagline, hunted by men, sought by women. I don't like that one. What? Yeah, <laughs> sought not, by women? <laughs> not a very good one. It makes one. it sound like he's a playboy and just you know, all these ladies are throwing it. I'm so sad. <laughs> so this was... It should be like, who is the third man? It's very clever. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Directed by Carol Reed, who did Oliver and Odd Man Out. Neither of which I've ever seen. And I have not either. Written by Graham Greene, but not that Graham Greene. No. <laughs> the novelist. Um, and then Orson Welles, Alexander Corda, and Carol Reed are uncredited. Which I think it's largely because <clears throat> like Orson Welles definitely improvised a lot of his famous lines. Mm-hmm. I don't know about this Alexander Corda guy. And Carol Reed is the director. I think a lot of them were just probably like writing things as they went. Yeah. Uh, so it's got some big stars. Yay. What a, this one's got such a great cast. Uh, Joseph Cotton. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> All right, uh, so he's in Citizen Kane, Touch of Evil, Shadow of a Doubt, Silent Green, Abominable Dr. Fives, Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte. Uh, <clears throat> man, sorry. Clear that throat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I tend to think Joseph Cotton is one of the best actors who ever lived. I love Joseph He's Cotton. He's pretty awesome. Like, he doesn't have, like, your typical Hollywood man face, I guess. He's not like a Kurt Douglas, well, but he is really good in what he does. I think what makes him stand out, he feels very natural in the way he delivers his lines rather than a lot. Like, Robert Mitchum does not feel natural. No. Or Fred McMurray seems super unnatural. They're super, <laughs> like, heightened performances. Joseph Cotton always, to me, feels like a real person. Yeah. Uh, in everything. And he's in, you know, movies as different as Soylent Green and Dr. Fibes to this, you know, that's mm-hmm. like, so yeah, I love Joseph Cotton. I, uh, and it's been fun that we've actually seen him in some more like 70s, more recent stuff towards the end of his career. Remember in Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte, and he was like, get out of here, you bitch. <laughs> and we're like, what? Whoa. This is Citizen Joseph Kane talking <laughs> Uh, so also in the movie is Alita Valley. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Mm. Hey, lady! Uh, but I'm growing to love this lady. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, she's like the she's the main female lead in this. She's also one of the instructors in Suspiria. She's uh, one of the main characters in Eyes Without a Face. I think she's the assistant to mm. the evil doctor guy. Uh, she's in Inferno. So she's in a couple of Argento things. Um yeah, which I find it funny that I think she is Italian and like in this movie she plays German and in Suspiria she plays a German. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was funny finding out that she's been in all that stuff. I always kind of forget. Um, and of course, Mr. Orson Welles himself. Somehow. Uh, you might remember him from Citizen back. Kane, <laughs> Touch of Evil or Transformers, the movie. When was he in Transformers? In the eight, you don't know that? That was like one of his in last roles. In the 80s one? Yeah, he's the voice of Optimus Prime. But not in the new ones? <laughs> no, okay, no. Okay, that's why I was confused. No, <laughs> He's the like original. in the cartoon one? Yeah, the original cartoon <laughs> movie from the 80s. I mean, he has a great voice. <laughs> he sure does. Um, so I had seen this a long, long time ago and loved it. Um, and it, But it had been so long. This is your first time, right? This has been on my watch list probably for like... 10 years (laughs) um so yeah i liked it a lot i enjoyed it i thought the setup and the mystery were really interesting um and then the great twist when there's like the cat and mouse game going on Mm -hmm. between some of the main people and the third man it becomes super intense and you get this great chase scene through all of vienna and um I think this one probably has the most like cinematography aspects going for it. So visually it was very interesting to watch too. Uh, Of these uh, classic noirs for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. I thought this one was a little complicated. So the other ones, it kind of helped that they were starting like backwards or narrating this one. It's more like Joseph Cotton's character doesn't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on and we're figuring it out as he does. So it's like, wait, what does that mean? And what was that again? So it is a great mystery setup though, that he arrives in Vienna, which this post-war Vienna is like a really interesting setting. First of all, because well, yeah, I was going to say, that's the other thing. I don't know much about the history of where they are at this point in time. Yeah. So it was a little hard to like, remember all that well i don't either but the movie opens with that narration where he kind of explains like what a weird time yeah. and place this was in that it's a it sounds like vienna it was essentially a lot like 
Berlin the, yeah. without a wall, but it was like equally controlled by like the British, Different the French, people, yeah. or, or maybe maybe British and Russian and American or whatever. So there's like uh, it, it was like rife with black market you know, scams because it was like nobody that was like completely in charge and everybody was kind of yeah. competing for what they wanted. So it's like, so it's a super interesting time. And, and also the setting is just really, you know, as a place is much more interesting than just like LA or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, it's um, LA. <laughs> get one. Um, so, uh, yeah, I love that about it too. And I agree. The cinematography is like, unbelievable like it's one of the coolest shot movies ever yeah um and i mean fantastic performances do we want to talk about that now or wait a minute well sure okay (laughs) also this is a little spoilery but you it's kind of obvious who the third man is based on the the letterbox page (laughs) i mean that's true yeah uh yeah so we'll probably will be spoiling this one so just suffice to say before we get into too much of spoiler territory this one is thoroughly worth a watch yeah it's incredible um so do you want to talk about performances or we didn't do the checklist okay okay michelle's a stickler for the template we have a format all right is it oniric <laughs> is it surreal yeah most definitely you did it, third uh, man. <laughs> this one probably has the most, I mean, like we've been talking about the cinematography, this one feels the most uh, influenced by that German expressionism like Dr. Caligari. Yeah, it's all like sharp angles and black and white and shadows running and <laughs> like the peewee <laughs> scene. <laughs> I've got a good piece of trivia about that I'm going to throw in here. It says, uh, there are so many oblique angles in the movie where the camera is tilted so the horizon line is not horizontal to give a feeling of awkwardness and uneasiness, uh, also called a Dutch angle. Yeah. Uh, after he saw the movie, William Wyler, the director, who was a friend of Carol Reed, sent him a spirit level with a note. Carol, next time you make a picture, put it on top of the camera, will you? <laughs> so many Dutch angles. Yeah. It's like a Sam Raimi movie up in here. <laughs> um, yeah. So definitely surreal for sure. Yeah. Uh, is it strange? I'd say so. Most definitely. <laughs> I mean, like we talked about, it's in this really weird, unique time period and place where things like this could happen. And, you know, the movie, it's a mystery about what happened to this, de- this how this man died and why he died. And guess what? He's not dead. So that's yeah. pretty strange. Uh, is it erotic? Not very. I'd say it's lower on the eroticism, but it's more of a a bubbling romance. <laughs> yeah, it's not. She's not a femme fatale. She no, just living her life, and all these people keep getting in her, annoying her. <laughs> well, like the man she fell in love with, like died, or did he? And then and he might be a bad person, but does that matter to her? And then right. there's this new guy who she might like, but she's still in grief, <laughs> like she's grieving over the loss of her yeah. last it's boyfriend. <laughs> mildly erotic in a complicated sort of way. <laughs> I'd say more romantic. Yes, I w- I would agree with that. No uh, anklets here. No. Is it ambivalent? Uh, I'd say this one's probably one of the most morally gray ones for sure. Because, <laughs> boy, yeah, uh, you know, he's like, I, these cops are just uh, swipe, you know, sweeping under the carpet, making my old friend seem like such a dirtbag. Yeah. Uh, no way. That's not possible. No way could uh, 
could my man Harry Lyme be a bad dude? <laughs> uh, or, or is, is he? he? <laughs> um, and is it cruel? Yes. Oh boy, is it? Oh, Harry Lyme. <laughs> He's well, pretty he, cruel. <laughs> he is. Uh, yeah, it's so crazy too because. You know, after we watched it, I was talking to you about like, oh, it's morally gray. It's like, oh, it's his friend, but he did this awful stuff. And you're like, I don't think it's gray at all. He's awful. He's, <laughs> He's a, a monster. He's a bad person. <laughs> but apparently a lot of people agreed with me back in the 40s because after this movie, they did like a series of radio shows where Orson Welles played like the early adventures of Harry Lyme. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I After guess, his little speech on the Ferris wheel, like, yeah. no, he's a bad person. But, totally. And he does not give a shit about his lady either. No. <laughs> so we've been dancing around it, but essentially we find out that Harry Lyme has been uh, watering down doses of um, penicillin? penicillin to make more money on it, to sell them on the black market, which is causing all of these kids to have like horrible like yeah, either dying or not being cured of their awful diseases and viruses that they need the penicillin for yeah because it's war-torn vienna <laughs> right he's taking advantage of the situation in like the most horrific way possible yeah <laughs> and uh i don't think we used it specifically as our quote but like he talks about like yeah like you said he's got that real famous speech where he talks about um looking down on people from up on the Ferris wheel and how like, you know, Oh, you know, how many of those dots, if it were going to make if you, I gave million, you $20,000 and you had to kill a dot down there, yeah, would you or how something? How many of those dots would you get rid of for $20,000 like, oh or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is very much like, you know, I don't know. It feels connected to me and like just war in general too. looking at it. Like, you know, the general's kind of perspective is it's, I don't know. It feels tied to that as well. Like just how despicable that all is. Yeah. Um, now can we talk about performances? We didn't do tropes. Oh boy. <laughs> Who's hosting this episode over here? I thought you were. <laughs> uh, well, some tropes. Uh, it, well, we talked a lot. I mean, it hit pretty much all of those, except for maybe the erotic one. The femme fatale. Yeah, it's missing the femme fatale trope for sure. Yeah. Uh, she's a great character but not uh, not a femme fatale mm -hmm. trope um but definitely like he's not a investigator but he's a mist like a writer uh who's trying to solve a mystery so there's definitely a big mystery involved um you know it's in black yeah. and white it's got a <laughs> uh i don't know i don't know if this hits that many of the tropes which is kind of interesting yeah not too many because this feels like very typical not pr typical in a bad way but like very like it fits in the mold of noir perfectly except yeah. that yeah it's not like a private eye and it's not a scheme an insurance scheme or whatever yeah. you know <laughs> it doesn't fit a lot of those tropes all right now we can talk about performances all right well you start because i've been talking well, I too thought much you wanted to talk about i do but you, you hit, start us off well we already mentioned joseph cotton is awesome yes so he's very natural as this like friend well he's a writer too right he's not yes. a pi or anything no and he's a western he writes westerns is what that, the description said but i, I, thought, I, it was I thought it was mysteries yeah. yeah um and there's some great moments where he kind of gets roped into doing like author talks just to like have his way paid, his hotel paid. Yeah, it's kind of funny. And so there's like this whole other side story with him and he's like 
totally bombing on his authorship. <laughs> yeah, um, well, yeah, that is a great part when they're like, get in the car, and he thinks it's like part of this conspiracy yeah. he's investigating. Like he's about to be uh, No, it's just like killed. the literary society of <laughs> He's like, yeah. you're late for your speech or yeah. talk or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it is interesting that he is, his whole character is just, uh, he's not, this isn't what he does. He's not a PI, so. He's very thrown into yeah. this, yeah. But it's a very curious story, so I think that's what intrigues him to figure out what actually happened. Yeah. Because most people, like, if you attend your friend's funeral, you probably would accept that that's what happened. Well, but he also, <laughs> he's there because his friend invited him there for a job, so and he's like, oh, what, yeah. what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. Um. So Joseph, Joseph Cotton's great. Yes, he is great. Uh, what about uh, our lady? What's her name? Uh, Alita Valley. She's really interesting, and she is just sort of like, I don't really want to have anything to do with this, and she just goes about her day because, like, she kind of has to. Like, yeah. she, just, she can't afford to just wander around the city with him trying to solve mysteries. <laughs> well, and she's kind of like a casualty of both these men in that, like, uh, Lime just kind of disappears on her mm-hmm. and um, and is a bad dude. And Holly is, uh, like, kind of forces her to, like, get involved with this, which puts her, um, like, her living situation at risk because she's not really an Austrian citizen. She's German. And so they're, I like... I she's Russian or, yeah, or Ukrainian or something. Something like that. Yeah. They're, they're threatening to deport her, potentially. Yeah. So, yeah, she has more at stakes because, like, if she gets involved and the police get involved, then they could easily figure out that she's not supposed to be there or yes. her papers are forged. Um so she's a very interesting character. Her performance is great. Uh, she mostly just ends up translating a lot for him. That's true. Because <laughs> that's the other thing. She knows all the customs and what's going on. And Holly is just like running around. It's like, do you speak English? <laughs> yeah. It's like, no. <laughs> Avida Zen or something. Yeah. And then Orson Welles is just evil. Boy, but is he so... This is like one of his... He has his, a great appearance when he shows up. He's finally. only in the movie for like a grand total of something like six or seven minutes. Yeah. But it's, I mean, that's the main thing everybody remembers in this movie. His his uh, scenes are so, he's so uh, charming and engaging, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he's like an awful person. Yeah. It's just, he's such a great character. And I can't imagine it working with anybody else. Yeah. Also, shout out to the cat. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk about that. It's my favorite scene. There's a kitty cat. Good cat. <laughs> this movie's got a great cat. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So... I have some miscellaneous trivia. So speaking of our boy, Orson Welles, boy, everybody hated working (laughs) with him. Um, He arrived two weeks late to set uh, because he was just in Austria or wherever in Europe and was just like vacationing instead of showing up to work. drama queen. Oh, God. Yeah, he really was. The other thing, he refused to shoot in the real sewers in Vienna, which is like drama. Such an important part of the movie. So in in the movie, it's like 50-50 whether you're seeing him on a set in London, a fake version of the sewers, or a stand-in in the real sewers. Oh my God. Um, And even, he he had the idea, that scene when he's like putting his fingers through the grates trying to get out. Um, that was Orson Welles' idea. He's like, oh, wouldn't that be a great shot? But then he wouldn't do it. Uh, so it's really... <laughs> was he a germaphobe? That's the director's hands. I, well, I, he thought he was going to catch like the vapors or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Um, so I don't think he was a very healthy person. I doubt it. <laughs> so he was probably rightfully worried about his health in the yeah. sewers. But still, 
Yeah, he sounds like he was a nightmare to work with. <laughs> um, and another kind of interesting thing, in Vienna, to this day, supposedly, uh, this movie has a permanent slot in one of the oldest movie theaters there. It plays three times a week in the Berg Kino. And there are also tours in Vienna of the sewers, specifically of the shooting locations of this movie. Hmm. So this movie's beloved there, for sure. <laughs> yeah, three times a week is a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Uh, so on IMDb, this is number 196 of the top 250. Letterbox, it's number 160. BFI is number 63. Ooh, we gone up. <laughs> <laughs> pretty high That's on pretty BFI high. list. Um, and at the Oscars, this won Best Cinematography, subcategory black and white. <laughs> subcategory, um, weird. Yeah, well, they just had Best Black and White Cinematography and Best Color Cinematography. Um, weird, weird, yeah. weird. <laughs> and it was nominated for two other Oscars. Um, so definitely another super beloved, you know, well-regarded movie. These yeah. noirs tend to be, the best noirs tend to also be some of the best movies is one way to put it. Um, what about some snappy lines? All right. So mine is when Holly Martin's first arrives somewhere. Uh, and he's talking about his friend that died. So he's going to stay with him, but he died Thursday. And this other guy says, goodness, that's awkward. And then he says, is that what you say to people after death? Goodness, that's awkward. <laughs> that <is laughs> it a was really a very funny one. lie. I remember it sticking out. <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> what about yours? So mine's, mine's not snappy. It's just funny. <laughs> it is, it's a good line for sure. Uh, I've got one of the famous Harry Lime lines. This is the one that Orson Welles apparently improvised when it's like one of the most famous movie lines ever. He says, uh, don't be so gloomy. After all, it's not that awful. Like the fellow says, in Italy for 30 years under the Borges, they had warfare, terror, murder, and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love at 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. <laughs> so long, Holly. Cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so a very uh, whiplash kind of uh, sentiment there. Yeah. You know, nothing good comes out of, of peace and love. It's <laughs> all only out of strife and conflict and awfulness that the beautiful art comes from. Yeah. That's his excuse, which is a pretty good line. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, um, it's less snappy than the other two we've watched. Yeah, less snappy, but... Not but, like, suppose I go here, suppose you do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so less less um, uh, 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 double entendres. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of our favorite scenes, though, Michelle? So my favorite scene is probably the chase through the tunnels just because it has the most cinematic cinematography oh stuff going on. It's gorgeous. It's a little... I mean... It's probably just like the same two tunnels and they just keep swapping which way they're running. But I don't know, it works. Not necessarily. It makes it very like maze-like and there's like all these people, like at some point they get like all these cops to go down there. So it's just like endless people like running through sewers and tunnels and upstairs and downstairs and across stairs and bridges. So there's a lot. And the shadows, my God. There's so many shadows. <laughs> I love when people are like running away and the shadows are just like staying in place on the walls. And yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous the way it's shot. It's so cool. This is definitely the most like surreal, like, you know, mm -hmm. strange, dreamy part of any of these movies, well, of most of these movies. It's really cool. I yeah. agree. Um, the other one that I really like is basically Orson Welles' first appearance. Yeah. Um, 
so you know uh holly's starting to i mean he's still not really getting anywhere but starting to kind of get a sense of maybe what's going on and uh anna says that oh this cat really only likes uh harry Mm -hmm. like he didn't even like me and the cat jumps out the window and holly's like where's he going Mm -hmm. he follows the cat and the cat goes into this alleyway and then out of the shadows Mm -hmm. pokes mr orson wells no! Guess what? <laughs> Harry's still alive. Somehow, Harry has returned. That's right. <laughs> um, and like the the smirk that Orson Welles has given him, and yeah, and then as he goes down to try and catch him again in another he one, he probably of those, really like, showed up on set that day and yeah, was like, like, "I'm mm-hmm. going to surprise them." <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it uh, is that the picture on Letterboxd? No, it's not. He doesn't but, have the cat. <laughs> yeah, but that's such an iconic scene. Yeah. Uh, it's so it's just such a cool shot, such a cool sequence. Love it. Um, so what are some final thoughts about this and what, what makes this one of the best noirs ever? It's pretty twisty. Twist all over the place. Very. The most twist. It's a little complicated, but the payoff is rewarding. Yeah, that's a good one. There's a lot of twists. <laughs> um. I think this one, I mean, like we've been talking about a lot, it's got exceptional expressionist cinematography. Like yeah, some of definitely. the best ever shot. Um, and a really good twisty mystery that flips the morals of our protagonists. Things are twisty, topsy-turvy. Yeah, down at the office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah things are topsy-turvy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Third Man's not only one of the best movies ever made, but definitely one of the best noirs for sure. And... The Curb Your Enthusiasm soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I can never remember how this actual theme goes because when I think about it in my head, I just hear... <laughs> I think that part's the same, but it it's, doesn't have the... <laughs> it's, it's very, very similar to Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, it's for probably sure. the same. <laughs> this one has the most unique score for sure. Uh, I didn't think it fit that oh, well. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's very Viennese. <laughs> Is it though? Yeah. I don't think it is. It definitely is. It's Vienna's a, like Italy, not it's this. It's Austria. It feels more, <laughs> I said it's more like Italy, like not like, yeah, like Spain. Spain is more like, whatever. Yeah. No. Don't matter. No, son. Or anyway. is Austria between the two? I think he's a Viennese <laughs> uh, uh, musician, the one, the guy who wrote the score. Yeah. But, anyways, yeah, very iconic score for sure. That's very, very non typical noir yeah uh, yeah i can't believe we didn't talk about the music till now because it's great yeah so great <laughs> um yeah anything else about third man nope i gave it four and a half i did too it is hardly the third man on our podcast always yeah. <laughs> third right. meow meow so i guess we're moving on to number four yep blood simple so we're jumping ahead like 40, 40 years. years. <laughs> so Blood Simple came out in 1984. The owner of a seedy small town Texas bar discovers that one of his employees is having an affair with his wife. A chaotic chain of misunderstandings, lies, and mischief ensues after he devises a plot to have them murdered. Whoa, whoa, whoa. In a Coen Brothers movie, there's a chaotic there's chain of misunderstandings, murder. lies, and mischief? <laughs> yep, there is. Believe it. Tagline, breaking up Believe is it, hard baby. to do. <laughs> That's a great tagline. <laughs> uh, directed by Joel Cohen. So not Joel and Ethan? I mean, you know, I think they tended in the early days, they used to just trade off in whose name was the director. It's probably a uh, director's guild thing. Mm. 
Uh, but it was written by both of them, Joel and Ethan Cohen. So if you don't know who the Cohen brothers are, they did like No Country for All Men, Big Lebowski, Fargo, Inside Lewin Davis, Burn After Reading, Oh Brother We're Out, Thorough, True Grit, Raising Arizona, there Serious are Man. Several other movies of theirs that we could have included on this list. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Big Lebowski, Man Who Wasn't There is their most traditional noir. Yeah. No Country for Old Men, you could argue is a noir. Yeah. They, so they definitely are, are in that mode a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, starring John Getz, who's in Social Network, The Fly, Zodiac, The Sentinel. I completely forgot that he was Stathis Boren. He looks so different. <laughs> and those movies he came does. out right around the same time. Yeah, he does look very different. Maybe it's the beard. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, and then also Francis McDormand, who's in Fargo, Nomadland, Three Billboard, Billboards. Uh, Tragedy of Macbeth. Tons of stuff. Yeah. She's a regular of theirs. Mm-hmm. Dan... I H- wonder why. I don't know. <laughs> Dan Hedaya, who's in Mulholland Drive, Clueless, Usual Sp- Suspects to Die For. I love that guy. the hairiest man that ever lived. <laughs> in Clueless, is he the dad? He's yes. Like, I'm, I'm a lawyer and I gotta do lawyer yeah, stuff. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> I did not realize just how hairy he is. He does not seem... Uh, like a Texan, like the other no, characters in this movie he do. Doesn't. He stands out a little Maybe bit. Maybe that's kind of the point. <laughs> um, and then we also have M. Elmet Walsh, who is in Blade Runner, Midnight Cowboy, and Knives Out. He was like the big name in this. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of trivia about how he was like really annoyed with them because he's like they were very particular about what they wanted him to do in certain scenes and he didn't want to do it. And he was like, I'm humoring you just by being here. Oh my God. (laughs) So not Eric Roberts on the set of spooked. Uh, (laughs) He's like, what else do you want me to do? Anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do whatever. Just give me the paycheck. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So this is Um, blood simple. So we'd both seen this one before. So this is not like a first reaction. Yes, it has been a while. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, this was great. And it's so weird because it's like, I feel like usually when I watch Coen Brothers stuff, there's more of like a comedic element or it's like a little off. This has some some absurd stuff, but but this definitely seems more serious. It's definitely in the same line with like No Country where it's much more serious and darker. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, but I also loved how it was filmed. It's very limited in its sets. It's very limited in its cast. There's only like a few key moments, but it works so well together that it feels very realistic. Like this could be happening now. Yeah. <laughs> like at any any place in Texas, this probably happened. <laughs> you know, and it's funny. This actually reminds me of when you said that. Is it like? This movie is really typifies one of the other tropes that we have not talked about in that. I think most noirs tend to be like hyper focused on like what like uh, um, Hitchcock would have called like the MacGuffin. Like there's always like these very hyper focused things where like in this movie, it's like the gun. How many bullets are left Mm -hmm. in the gun? The money. Who's got the money? Where's that photo that, that he faked where they were dead? Yeah. You know, and in the other movies, it's like, okay, who's got that key? Or in in Die Line for Murder, which we were iffy about whether it was noir, like that movie, it's the key, like the, the latch key or whatever. Um, in Dublin Demnity, that's like hyper focused on like, oh, they're gonna who's gonna show up at this house, the details of the 
of the uh, oh the anklet of course yeah <laughs> you know so there's like this hyper focus on these specific items that'll like give somebody away or 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 be the death of them or whatever um but yeah this movie's so cool it's <laughs> so cool um it's it's funny to me that the Coen brothers apparently hate this movie <laughs> they think it's awful but it's and I don't know that it has a lot aside from like the fact the whole like we were joking about chaotic chain and misunderstandings like that's that's that could be the name of the Coen brothers like biography yeah <laughs> um besides that like this doesn't feel super Coen brothersy yeah in a lot of ways um, well, that's what I was saying. Yeah, because it kind of is missing something that they are known their trademarks. Yeah, it doesn't feel completely in line with most of their filmography. Maybe just because it's deadly serious. There's very little comedy, like you said. Um, but it's just a kind of a masterful movie, and it's uh, I don't know. We'll get into it as we go through the our checklist about some of the yeah. other cool things about it for sure. I'm blathering on. <laughs> um. So our noir checklist. So is it oneric? Probably not. I think it is for sure. What? I think it's very dreamlike. <laughs> the fact that it's very... We just said it's very serious. Yeah, but it's very... realistic. I think it's super <laughs> surreal. That whole sequence when he's like out in the field burying the body and the body's not dead somehow. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's like <laughs> all the like super limited sets, like you said. Like all that feels very surreal to me. Well, I was imagining more like... A dream sequence or something. Uh, also, there is a crazy dream sequence when. Uh, oh, there is. Yeah. <laughs> she she thinks her husband's still alive and he's talking to her and then he like blood just spurts out of yeah. his mouth. Okay. <laughs> also, that super cool shot when uh, uh, I can't remember exactly when it is in the movie, but she's oh man, it's with Frances McDormand. She's somewhere and then she turns and she like falls back onto her bed, which she's yeah. not in her bedroom at the time. And the camera follows her down. It's like a transition shot. She might be on a couch or something. I yeah, can't remember. I can't remember either, but it's really cool. It might be part of that dream sequence, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this movie's probably the most surreal of all the ones. All right. Watched. Well, it's not strange then. Is it, though? Not strange. I said it was realistic. This could be happening to anybody right now. <laughs> uh, I suppose it could, but also just the fact that he's not dead when he's... That's not strange. It probably does take just, a lot to kill somebody. Yes, he's, he's pretty dead. The idea... Uh, I love this weird thing that in this movie and Blue Velvet both have that where there's like this guy who seems very dead <laughs> who then suddenly is alive yeah. barely you know in blue velvet there's that weird scene with the guy in the yellow blazer where he's like shot in the head or whatever but he's still standing don't like that <laughs> it's so creepy <laughs> but yeah that whole sequence uh is just so strange to me in this movie um is it erotic uh probably not in like the double indemnity way because it's just like a love triangle and you can give you blowing my mind here what this is the only movie that we watch that has a sex scene <laughs> because censors wouldn't allow sex in the 40s <laughs> uh, yeah true but uh i mean yeah there that whole thing where he's like i'm giving you a ride because i like you fine erotic so oh erotic. my god <laughs> francis mcdormand yep. most erotic woman 
<laughs> it's like Dennis Reynolds, an erotic yeah. wife. Frances McDormand, an erotic woman. It's her biography. Uh, is it ambivalent? Like, is it morally gray, Michelle? I mean, there's no reason to kill each other. <laughs> it's just, well, just get a divorce. And, and our, <laughs> who turns out to be our main antagonist, the PI, he's about as morally questionable as it gets. Yeah. He's like, not only is he like, yeah, I'll take, well, I love that part when he's like, uh, <laughs> well, let me make sure it's not your favorite line. No, it's not. Uh, when he's like, hey, I'll do any job as long as it's, as long as you can pay me and it's legal. And he's like, it's not really legal. And he's like, well, as long as you can pay yeah. me. <laughs> not only, yeah, he, he doesn't care. <laughs> he's like, I'll kill somebody for money. That's bad enough, but then I'll also fake that killing and kill you so I can take, take more your of your money. money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's super. But that's also like, does he just not want to kill those two people because he doesn't like the bar guy? I think he can get more out of it by killing the bar guy because he knows he can frame the other people for that. That's what oh. the whole point is he makes it seem like he got into a gunfight with. Because he goes into a lot of lover. effort to like Photoshop analog photos. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How did he do that? He probably, I mean, you could probably draw on the negative or add stuff to that and then put it on the print. But yeah. Yeah, it's, a it's mostly just blood and dots. But even our main guy uh, is morally complicated because instead of like calling the cops, he recognizes like, oh, I'm going to get blamed for this. And he no, takes, he thought his love was going to get blamed for it. Well, yeah, he thinks he's trying she to did cover it, it up. It's to super, save her. super twisty and complicated. Yeah, <laughs> he thinks one way or another, him or Francis McDormand are going to get blamed for it. Yeah, and so he takes the body, and you know, in that super tense, like trucks are driving by, and the body's still alive, and mm -hmm. yeah, it's just so crazy. <laughs> I also wondered, like, and he buries him out in that field. It's like. Dude, you know people are going to find this, right? Your truck tracks are going right the to same it. Thing. <laughs> it's like, please just continue driving and don't go back the way you came. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hmm, the truck's tracks stop here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cruel. Uh, yeah. 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 And it's pretty brutal. Unnecessarily, because a lot of people are just getting killed for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, of all the main characters, I'll just say most of them don't make it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that scene when she stabs his hand is like really brutal. Pretty intense. Feels very painful. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'd say it's pretty cruel. Uh, does it hit some of the tropes? Lots of uh, blind blinds with dramatic lighting. This movie, the big, big one, the big uh, one like that is the ceiling fans. They're constantly. All the ceiling fans. All the ceiling fans. And they're all like, they're always making sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another kind of super surreal thing um, does have a PI mm -hmm. and it does open with his narration which is odd kind of because yeah. he never narrates anything else yeah. after that <laughs> um, but uh, any other major tropes um, not necessarily I mean the love triangle piece is definitely in a lot of these but yeah yeah just get a divorce like normal people. <laughs> Just go to therapy and or get a divorce. Yeah. Um, let's talk, you want to talk about some performances? Uh, what's his name? John Getz. The fly guy. Yeah. John Getz kind of has the 
it's weird because I always, when we first watched it, I was thinking back, I thought Frances McDormand was more in the main character, but she actually doesn't have that much screen time no, compared doesn't. to the other fellas. So She's, when I watched it again, I was like, oh, John Getz seems more of like the main character. <laughs> yeah. I have an, an interesting theory I just came up with about Frances McDormand, but I'll save it till when we get to The her. most erotic woman? Yeah, the most erotic woman. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I like John Getz in this too. He feels very like kind of every man and is just like, he feels actually a lot like Llewellyn in No Country where he's just like kind of trying to make the best of the situation and get through this alive. Yeah. Um, and is keeps things keep going wrong. And he like his position's super interesting because he's like in love with this woman and right after he starts sleeping with her, he thinks that she murdered her husband for him. And yeah. so even though she didn't, he's like is in this weird, awkward position where now he's like stuck with her no matter well, what. Well, yeah, he kind of has to commit. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it seems like up to that point, they weren't really committed. <laughs> yeah. Like, and also he had seeds of doubt from the other guy that like, oh, she's telling you she loves you now. But like, look at me. The same right. thing happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> she's probably just using you. So he's like, well, not if I clean up her murder for her. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> she has to stay with me then. <laughs> very complicated triangle for sure. Um, how do you, what do you think about Frances McDormand? This is her first role. She's great if it's her first role. She I mean, was... she plays the role really well because it's like she's stuck in this marriage she doesn't like. She's trying to make the best of it and kind of get some independence. And But she also maybe finds love along the way. <laughs> <laughs> There's always interesting kind of famous bit of trivia is that Holly Hunter was going to be in that role who feels very I like Texas. I could and, see that. I could totally see that working. She's actually the one of the voices on the voicemail in the movie mm. where she's like, I'm <laughs> going to South America, you know, Uruguay. <laughs> um, but uh, but she she was roommates with Frances McDormand and suggested mm. that she go out for the part. And That's then funny. the rest is history. <laughs> um, but, oh, but the theory I was thinking about is uh, the more I think about it, I think Frances McDormand is a final girl in this movie. Yeah, definitely. Because not only just the sa- the fact that she survives, which is the big thing, but also she like kind of starts as like, not like helpless, but like she's not like a part of the plot at all. Like she yeah. has nothing to do with it and is sort of clueless about all of it. She's just there like to kind of motivate the plot. And then she becomes the one who has to like fight back and survive. Yeah. Um, so she's kind of a really great final girl. I never thought about it in that way, but kind Frances of works. Frances McDormand, final girl? An erotic final girl. <laughs> um, yeah. What about our uh, what about our hairy man, Dan Hedaya? He's so hairy. He plays it very calm and creepy and scary. You know, in ancient Greece, they cut off the head of the guy who brings the message. <laughs> yeah, he's very intense for no reason. <laughs> but yeah. I guess it's to show us like what their marriage is probably like. Well, he's an awful boss. That's you don't feel bad that he's gonna that they're like cheating on him because he's an awful boss and an awful mm-hmm. husband. But you don't necessarily, he doesn't need to die. No, but he kind of brings it upon himself because he just can't let her go. So he's, his jealousy and envy kind of get the best of him. Yeah. Which causes him to get killed. Also, like, maybe the only, like, funny bit in the movie is when he comes to, like, confront them at their little, like, bungalow, love bungalow. His I guess it's John Getz's house. Um, And then he, like, storms out in his car and John Getz is like, I b- wish I could see his face when he realized that's a dead end because yeah. then the car has to come right back down the other way. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> what about M. Emmett Walsh? 
I mean, he plays his role pretty uh <laughs> pretty well. <laughs> uh, he's awesome in this. He's probably the most evil. <laughs> Definitely. He's like he kind of sets the whole thing in motion by he like takes everybody's like worst uh instincts and tries and does whatever he can to take advantage of yeah. it. Uh and get out with the, all the money and everything. And yeah, and that uh and yeah, we'll talk about the last scene. It's so he's an crazy. opportunist, <laughs> definitely. And he's just so like slimy and gross. Yeah, <laughs> he's awful, but he's also kind of funny. He's very like you know he tells that whole joke about the guy that uh, uh, he broke one hand doing this and then fell down and broke his other hand and yeah. now his wife's got to wipe his ass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love Emmett Walsh in this. He's great. Um. This movie is not on any top lists, which is surprising to me. That's weird. I think this movie gets a short stick because uh, it is short shrift is the phrase. Uh, because I feel like if somebody else had directed this, my mistake. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, like if the if they never made any other movies, if this was their first movie and the only big one they ever made, I bet this movie would get a lot more of attention. Yeah, but because it's like in this over of like a dozen like masterpiece level movies that they've made it, people don't tend to think about blood simple no but it's amazing it's so good it's really good <laughs> yeah i love this movie um i did have a good piece of miscellaneous trivia tell us so the title blood simple with a period by the way that's weird um don't like that <laughs> uh the title is based on a phrase from the excuse me from the Dashiell Hammett novel Red Harvest. <laughs> Excuse <me>. moi. <laughs> Based on a phrase from the Dashiell Hammett novel Red Harvest, in which the term blood simple is a term coined to describe the addled, fearful mindset that people are in after prolonged immersion in violent situations. Uh, which makes sense. It's like, yeah. you know, they're, people like PTSD making mistakes. Something. Yeah, when they're in these prolonged <laughs> violent situations. It's a cool, so it's a really cool title, especially when you know that. Um, and uh, the Coen brothers later made Miller's Crossing, which is loosely based on that same novel, mm. Red Harvest, which I actually don't remember if I knew or not. But yeah, Miller's Crossing, another one, not really noir, but twistiest crime story ever. Yeah. It's <laughs> so complicated. <laughs> um, so should we talk about some of our favorite things in this one? We should. You know, give me the snappy line. All right. Snappy line. Ray. Who is Ray again? John Getz, our our good boy. So I think he's talking to Francis McDormand. Yeah. So he says, never point a gun at anyone unless you mean to shoot him. And if you shoot him, you better make sure he's dead. Because if he ain't dead, he's going to get up and try to kill you. That's the only thing they taught us in the service that's worth the goddamn. Yeah. Yeah, make sure they're dead. And she's like, <laughs> what the hell are yeah. you talking about, I just Ray? woke up. What is going on? <laughs> why are you covered in blood and dirt (laughs) that's a good one for sure what's Uh, yours mine is from mr mm at walsh the pi and he says give me a call whenever you want to cut off my head i can always crawl around (laughs) without it that's when after after his whole speech about cutting the head off the messenger (laughs) there he is a snake he's slimy slimy old snake slippery slimy man (laughs) What about our favorite scenes? So mine is probably the cleaning up the crime scene slash getting rid of the body scene. Definitely the most famous scene in the movie. Yeah, 
because it it's it's a big chunk of the movie too. It's a pretty long it's scene like, it's going like from the bar. Yeah, so he stumbles upon the boss dead in his office. He sees clues that make it seem like his lady has done this. Like it's her weapon mm-hmm. and her um, lighter with her name on it or something. Yeah, something like that. Um, and so he's like, I've, I have to do it. I have to clean this up <laughs> and get rid of the body. Um, and then there's also an intense part where some of the other workers come back to the restaurant, but yeah. the office is locked. And so he's like just kind of waiting it out while he's cleaning up blood. And then it goes on to him removing the body and taking it. He's just trying to dump it somewhere and uh, he's not dead. <laughs> so he comes back to life and there's this intense part where they're like on the highway and the truck's about to pass and he has to like get the body back in the car. There ain't no body. Just get that guy, that yeah. living guy. <laughs> um, and then he drives out into the middle of the field and buries him. Buries him. Alive. alive yeah when and also that that he's got the 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 quote-unquote dead guy's got the gun and he's aiming yeah. at him and you're like oh, i don't remember how many bullets are yeah. left <laughs> um which yeah there's all this trivia about that too like you can count the amount of bullets that get shot and it's like he's very lucky mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah i mean that scene's amazing it's it's like it's also really like cinematic moment yes. too because there's no dialogue yeah that it's like very intense sequence. and dark it's at night there's like only the lights of like neon the and headlights and stuff like that so yeah. it's awesome it's that's an amazing sequence that's a really good one um for me it's that the whole climactic apartment the final the girl end. fight <laughs> yeah which I, I mean i guess i'm gonna spoil it a little bit but like in my head that scene is like half of the movie. Like it's yeah. literally like a half hour or something. And it's really only like 10 minutes of the movie. It's, <laughs> it's, but it feels so long because it's so intense where basically they realize the detective is like, first he's like got a sniper rifle through the window and then he breaks in and she's got to like escape and he's reaching through one window out to the other. And that's when she like slams the window on his hand and stabs the yeah. knife in. And he starts shooting and punching through the wall so he can pull the knife out of his hand. It's so intense and so... It's another one that has, like, almost no dialogue at all. Yeah. And also, it's wild because that entire time she never sees him. Yeah, she doesn't even know who's shooting no. at her or why. She thinks it's her husband the whole time. Yeah. Because she says something... That was another good line. She says something about... Um, I can't remember what her husband's name is. But she says something about, like... uh that's what you get, whatever, whatever. And he's, and the detective is private eyes. Like I'll tell him if I see yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Yeah. That whole sequence is so crazy. Well, also because she thinks her boyfriend has lost his mind. Cause she's like, turn out the lights. They're going to, I think someone's across on the roof or whatever, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. watching us. So <laughs> he was right. There's a lot going on, but she gets hey, the ladies. Hey, ladies. Most definitely. <laughs> Yeah, so this movie's full of really intense scenes like that. Yeah. It's great. Um, so what makes this a standout noir, Michelle? So for me, it's a blood simple. <laughs> it's simple, but super engaging. Yeah. And all of the characters feel realistically normal and like this could happen to anybody. Well, not anybody, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. It's probably not going to happen to us. I mean, right? I hope not. Right? <laughs> don't don't blood simple me <laughs> i'm pretty hairy i don't know <laughs> <You are. laughs> um yeah i would agree with all that for sure uh i'd also say that this one feels 
very in the noir mode in that like every person in this movie makes bad decisions. Abby's the only one who like doesn't really make any like death. I mean, she decides to cheat on her husband, but aside from that, you know, the main, it's like everybody has to go back to the bar to like, Oh, oh whoops. I left that photo in the mm-hmm. safe. Whoops. Oh, I uh, got to go get that gun. You know, there's always, everybody's making these like poor decisions that come back to haunt Except them. her. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, that's why nope, she survives. I'm just going to go get my own apartment. Bye. <laughs> yep. But it's also very dreamy. And very, I think this movie is very scary and it's very clever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love this one. I think it's fantastic. It needs to be, get more recognition. I, I mean, you know, if I did a top five Coen bros, would this make it in the top five? I don't know. It's hard because they have a lot of good movies. Yeah, I mean, like Serious Man, Fargo, No, no Country. No Country is probably my favorite. Big Barton Lebowski. Lebowski. It's oh, too much. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mention it, but this one, this movie and Barton Fink uh, are particularly super interesting uh, in the sound department. Like, there's a lot of really interesting, this movie especially, a lot of abstract sound design that's really cool. Yeah. So I love that about it, too. Is that it for Blood Simple, period? I gave put it the period on it? four stars. Uh, what did I give it? I've got a look. You gave it four and a half stars. Okay, thank you. I gave it four and a half stars. I've mostly given every movie four stars so far, I except mean, Third Man was four and a half. <laughs> watched a lot of really good movies. Yeah, they're all solid. Solid choices, or we wouldn't be talking about them. That's right. <laughs> Mama didn't raise no fool. And she didn't. She mm-hmm. ain't doing it. <laughs> ain't doing it. Ain't gonna get it. <laughs> All right, so we move on to our final noir. Final noir time. <laughs> so jumping ahead another decade to L.A. Confidential, which came out in 1997, directed by Curtis Hansen. Three detectives in the corrupt and brutal L.A. police force of the 1950s used different differing methods to uncover conspiracy behind the shotgun slangs of the patrons of an all-night diner. Tagline, everything is suspect, everyone is for sale, and nothing is what it seems. Pretty good tagline. Mm-hmm. So Curtis Hansen also directed Eight Mile and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Spaghetti, spaghetti. That's weird. I don't think I've seen Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Not yet. <laughs> is it? Is that a 90s erotic thriller? For the most part. Sounds like Evil it. babysitter who wants the baby. Oh, of course. The baby and the life that she never had. The, the Is it the model <laughs> for all Hallmark lifetime? Yeah, it's like a lifetime protege. <laughs> yeah. So written by Brian Helgeland, who did Nightmare on Elm Street 4, A Knight's Tale, Mystic River. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. He also directed crazy. A Knight's Tale, I think. And Curtis Hansen, based on James Elroy's novel of L.A. Confidential. So mostly James Elroy's novel gets the credit, right? Yeah, but they worked on this script for like four years or something. Yeah. Uh, Should we talk about our stars? We should. Uh, So starring Russell Crowe. Okay. Uh, I didn't list uh, what any of these people were known for because they're all big names to us. Uh, Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce. Kevin Spacey, Kim Basinger, Danny DeVito, James Cromwell, and David Strathairn. What a cast. It's weird because I've seen so many things with David Strathairn now, and 
I feel like until Nomadland, I didn't remember I had seen him in anything before this. <laughs> I've always really liked him ever since like the only movie he played as a starring role, one of our first dates, that Good Night and Good Luck. Mm. Um, I've always liked him a lot, but yeah, he doesn't get a lot of like major roles. No. Even in this, he's a pretty minor character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were it was funny. There was a lot of jokes in the trivia about how this is this movie that's like very American, very LA. Uh, but the two main stars are both Australian. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are our first reactions? I, we've both seen this before, but it it's has been, been a very long so time. so long, and I'm really glad we rewatched this yes. because it ended up being so awesome and fun and intense and like, oh my God, how far does the conspiracy go? <laughs> The only downside is now that Kevin Spacey is like a total awful person that we know of. Yeah. So it's a little uh, like maddening. So he has so many great lines and moments. It's like, dang it. <laughs> Why do you have to be a horrible person? He's really good in this. Which yeah. Sucks. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. This is a movie I kind of always tend to forget about. And then I'm watching it back. I'm like, man, this is like one of the best movies of the 90s. Yeah. It's really good. Really yeah. good. Um. There were a lot of reviews on Letterboxd that were like, uh, this is what should have won Best Picture instead of Titanic, for sure. <laughs> it's like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's really, like, this is like a perfect Hollywood movie in that it's just like, there's nothing like too super deep about it necessarily, but it's just like incredibly compelling and fun to watch and um and just really, really well crafted. It's very well made. It is a little complicated with as far as the real conspiracy going on, because it took me a long time to figure out exactly what was what they were doing that was bad. <laughs> yeah, with the police force and stuff. Because I was like, wait, what? <laughs> well, that's what's super fun. So James Crom Cromwell kind of like explains it all at yeah. the end, just in case you don't know. <laughs> that's part of what's super fun about it is like there's three very different detective characters all trying to solve the same mystery and all finding like different parts of it at yeah, once. Yeah, that's so, why it gets a little confusing. Yeah. It's like, I thought this was about a diner and then it's like, I thought it was about drugs and now it's about like prostitution or something. Yeah. It's like so much going on. And none of them like have all the pieces of the puzzle until they all kind of start to, for, or sort they of They have to, to work, work together. together. Yeah, so it's a really good, <laughs> really good setup, really good uh, way to put it together. It's great. And the other thing I liked was when it started, I was like, oh, this is going to be like how awesome the police force is or mm -hmm. something. It was like, no, this is saying how shit they all are and how awful they all are. This is like ACAB the movie. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> because Guy Pierce is supposed to be like, oh, I'm a good cop. I follow the rules and do this. And like, even he has like some big flaws going for him and stuff. And well, yeah, he ends up doing some very bad cop stuff. But even before that, He's like a good cop only because it can like get him ahead. Yeah. Po very politician style. Yeah. He's keeping clean because he wants to be in politics. Yeah. Kevin Spacey is just like, give him money. He'll do whatever. And then Russell Crowe is like, I will beat up anything and anybody in my way. <laughs> They're all super complex characters though. Cause like, yes, Russell Crowe's like this thug, like horrible dude who like beats people to pulp. But he mostly does it to protect women in domestic disputes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, not always. He's like, he, no, and he, he ends beats up, up other people. He ends up and shoots some people for no reason. Too, which is like, that's that's like the one thing you're like, oh, why do they have to do that? Yeah. Um, 
but uh and but kevin spacey is like he's um the part his character jack vincennes he's like oh he's like only a cop just so he can get all this press and he like works with a tabloid magazine yeah he wants stuff. to be on the newspaper cover. but then like <laughs> he the way he gets kind of involved is when you start to realize like oh maybe he's a good trying to be a good guy too is like that actor that uh like the young male actor who's being like used basically just to frame other people he's yeah. like i don't want to be a part of that like you know he kind of starts to realize that he he's doing something wrong yeah so they're all like kind of complicated characters which makes it really interesting mm-hmm. and even even uh kim basinger's characters kind of like that too and that like she's a sex worker but it's like there's more to it. and she's She's doing it. She's part of that firm or whatever that there are all these women that have been had plastic surgery to look like Hollywood, Hollywood stars. stars. Yeah. <laughs> but like she's a really complicated character, too. Like she's not really working for the bad guys. It's uh, yeah. So it's just all all gray all over the place. Uh, so should we run down our checklist? Sure. Is it Oniric? I'd say this one's pretty low on the surreal and strange side of things. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's less of that <laughs> and more of like the real life crime. This feels more like a true crime story, even though it's not really yeah. um, than, than that. Definitely more grounded in reality. Uh, how about erotic? Well, you've skipped strange. I said, I said. Oh, they're both. I said <laughs> both of those. I felt like it was on the low scale. It's pretty erotic. Kim Basinger. Yeah, it's for character sure. and some of the other ladies who show up. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's definitely eroticism. Yeah, <laughs> yay for eroticism. <laughs> um, is it ambivalent? Yes, sir. very, <laughs> very morally complicated and and not. And most people have most are trying to do the right thing for the wrong reasons or the wrong thing for the right reasons. Yeah, <laughs> one way or the other. Uh, and is it cruel? yes pretty cruel yeah <laughs> uh i mean th- there's a big twist that i think we'll probably talk about um in which uh well maybe we maybe we won't but um where one of our main characters very suddenly bites the bullet and it's, it's pretty cruel, pretty cruel. <laughs> um does it hit a lot of the tropes i think it's kind of on purpose yes for <laughs> like sure. it's definitely an homage to the 40s style and everything so yeah. a lot of the style choices and everything are definitely in that category for sure and like uh like even even like the hairstyles like kim basinger feels very much like modeled after some of the old yeah fatale, even though her character is not really a femme fatale her hair and stuff feels very and, yeah you know um and i mean this one this is our only one that follows cops which is a little surprising because i think there are a fair amount of noirs that follow cops in one way or another um and obviously it's a big mystery mm-hmm. and yeah. So it hits some of the tropes, not all of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So we've talked, kind of, we've been kind of already been talking about performances a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, so Guy Pierce is kind of the main character. I feel like we're following. Yeah. He's the one who's kind of pulling people together. It's either him or Russell Crowe. Yeah. They're both sort of meant to be kind of the main and, and, uh, Kevin Spacey are kind of meant to be like all three, but yeah, Guy Pierce feels like the main. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, Danny DeVito. We haven't talked about him. Yeah. He's the great like tabloid person He's setting up weasel. people all over the town. 
Uh, James Cromwell is t very tall. <laughs> and he says things like boyo. Very lot. intimidating. The only problem I had is like, I feel like he has an Irish accent come in and out throughout the movie. <laughs> well, I think he's supposed to be Irish. He says. I know, but there's parts where he doesn't sound Irish maybe. at all. And then it's they, like, wait, what? <laughs> he, they definitely push his uh, Irish heritage a little too much. Because yeah, he says things bit. like, I wouldn't want to be him for all the whiskey yeah. in Ireland. Like, okay, we get it. You're from Ireland. We get it, boyo. <laughs> Yeah, and then it's sad about Kevin Spacey because he does have a lot of great moments and it sucks that he's tainted every good movie out there somehow. True. What a <laughs> jerk. Um, but Guy Pierce, I liked him in this. Uh, he's kind of like trying to be the good guy. But also, I think, I don't think I picked this for our scene. So I, I'll talk about one of my favorite scenes with him and kind of, it's when he's about to do the like four person interrogation. Oh, that scene is so and, good. And like the whole police force is watching because they know, like, I don't think Russell Crowe or Kevin Spacey knows how good he is. And like everyone else is like, he'll get him. Like well, they'll get him to crack. Well, plus they all hate him. <laughs> yeah, they hate him, but they like, they're like, in awe of him at this part yeah. because he's like playing Man. people against each other I'm and running my from room to room. Because it's such a good <laughs> sequence. You're right. Yeah. I kind of forgot about it and he's like, oh, maybe he can detect and he's, be a police officer. He's got like <laughs> buttons under the table that he uses to like uh, open the microphone so yeah. that the guy in the other room's hearing what this guy is saying to like play them against each other. It's so cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. It's a great scene. That is a great scene. It's my favorite scene <laughs> that I'd forgotten about. <laughs> and then at some point, we also get Russell Crowe's interrogation style where he just starts punching a dude until he says mm -hmm. what he needs. So mm -hmm. it's like you see just how opposite the two are and like how could they possibly work together? Also, People are like actively trying to pit them against each other in different ways. Yeah. So like there's a lot of jealousy and like people assume Russell Crowe doesn't have a brain that he's not as smart as Guy Pierce, who's mm -hmm. like super intelligent and passed the bar or whatever. So that's a very, I like that, that part because you get kind of both people's, uh, their characteristics more visually yeah all, all three of those main detectives are like super different characters which makes them really compelling to kind of see them all yeah. solving this mystery separately and apart uh or and together rather yeah um any other performance stuff to mention i do wish kim basinger had a little more to do she's sort of just like the girlfriend slash everybody wants her yeah it's not really her fault no i like i get yeah. why that's what she's doing but it, it would have been nice to have a little more i guess she um she's probably the least interesting female lead of these five movies yeah um yeah which is too bad because yeah in the first three we've got like these great femme fatale kind of characters mm -hmm. that are really complicated and you know doing their own thing and and francis mcdormand we talked about is very much like kind of a final girl and uh, Kim Basinger's character is just like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. She's just kind of there as part of the plot and then sticks with the guy who punched her in the face. So, uh, I don't know. Mm, iffy, yeah. Yeah, so she's not, not the greatest character. Not the best. <laughs> but nothing wrong with Kim Basinger. Like, I, although, I feel like uh, Batman feels like the only thing I feel like I've like almost ever seen her. Batman and the Nice Guys I wrote down too. I definitely like her way more in Batman. Yeah, she's a great character. She has a Batman. lot to do in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, the other folks are kind of more minor minor roles, but yeah, really good performances all the way around in this one for sure. Yeah. Um, 
so this one is on some lists, not a lot, but it was uh it's in IMDb top two fifty. It's number one twenty-two. Yay! Oh you want to hear something crazy, considering what we were just talking about? Yeah, tell the o- me. The only Oscar that it won was for Kim Basinger. She that's won- insane. She won- <laughs> well, that's because literally everything else went to Titanic. Okay. Which, so she beat how did out- that not go to Kate Winslet? <laughs> I uh, guess. No, Kate Winslet did. Was Kim supporting? Uh, it says best. Yeah, it must be supporting. Uh, it, on IMDb, it said best actress. Maybe it's supporting. I think it's supporting, because Kate uh, Winslet definitely won. Yeah. Uh, it's Leonardo who didn't. He oh, was the only one. <laughs> it also won Best Adapted Screenplay, something that Titanic couldn't win, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it was nominated for seven other Oscars, but yeah, and Titanic <laughs> swept that year. Um, and this is another one that's in the National Film Registry. So come on, National Film Registry, get on it and um, put uh, uh, Blood Simple in there. You know what? I don't think Kate Winslet did win for Titanic. That's insane. That is crazy. And it's crazy. Not only that Kate Kim Basinger won, but as actress, like she's not like the main no. character of this movie. I'm very confused right now. Because <laughs> I thought, yeah, Kate was nominated, but she didn't win. She only won for the reader. She's only won one time. That is shocking. Oh my God. <laughs> that is one big pilot. S-H-I-T. I mean, how many nips does she have a show? Like <laughs> people. I'm just thinking like, Okay, Kim Basinger, nothing against you. You were good in this movie, but Kate Winslet in Titanic is the movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. That is sort of sort of absurd. This just blows my mind. And she's not. Yeah, I agree. She really should be a supporting actress. Yeah. For this. Okay. We're that's getting pretty, off topic. <laughs> yeah, but that's pretty weird. I agree. Um, but yeah, so it is. Uh, it's well, it's the newest one on our list by far, uh, but it's still pretty lauded. Yeah, and lo- loved. Uh, a little less now, <laughs> given that one of its stars is problematic. Um, so what are some good snappy lines from this one? Mine's not very snappy. It's just more of a joke where the two get to bond, but it's between Russell oh, Crowe and Guy Pierce, and they're both waiting inside of this abandoned motel with a bunch of people who are about to have a big shootout with them. Uh-huh. And Ed says to him all i ever wanted was to measure up to my father and then russell crowe says now's your chance and he looks at him with a puzzled look and then says he died in the line of duty didn't he and it's like oh we're about to die (laughs) i get it (laughs) so yeah that was my little line i had one that our boyo um james cromwell (laughs) said I can't remember who he's talking to, but he says i go back to jersey sonny this is the city of angels and you haven't gotten any wings ouch Ouch. <laughs> Pretty, good. Pretty good. There are some great, like, Kevin Spacey lines that we aren't going to say. <laughs> Rolo Tomasi. Yeah. Rolo Tomasi is the best part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite scene? Well, I had my original one that I wrote down, which is still a good scene. It's kind of how they introduce all the characters in the beginning. You kind of get the sense of how they're all different and how the police force works in LA (laughs) like there's a news story happening about uh the police station on Christmas Eve um and it's like oh it's so quiet hang on they're just having their little Christmas party or whatever and then like these guys come in and get jailed these Mexican guys yeah and um all the cops basically a riot breaks out and they start beating up these dudes 
while Exley is like trying desperately to keep it under control mm-hmm. and he they throw him in a jail cell. And the uh, the best part about that scene is when the like reporters they're like, "Oh, I think I have one more question I wanted to ask." Cuz yeah. they were about to write it was like Silent Night. Yeah. <laughs> like this really nice cushy uh piece about Egg the police force. And, yeah. Yeah, and the then they come back force. and find yeah. the police force like throwing the charge c- commander or whatever in the in a cell while they're yeah. beating up a bunch of suspects. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, apparently that is based on a true thing that happened. It was, it was like the Christmas riot or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, but really my favorite scene is that interrogation scene that you Yeah, said. I don't know why I totally forgot about it, Yeah, but it's probably the best scene in the movie. It is really good. Yeah, you're right. Um, I do like the shootout at the end. It's probably yeah. the most action-packed moment of the film it's, and it's intense. It is intense. And it's two guys against like, I don't need... I don't even know if the guys outside are cops or just thugs that are a part of the conspiracy, but it's like two guys against at least 15, maybe more. And then you get like the big uh, sort of dramatic moment with the police chief at the end too. Well, yeah, with which them. that's a great moment too. Um, when they're what he's like, hold up your badge. So they know you're a cop. Yeah. And, in a in a movie that came out now, they'd be like he'd be hearing in his head what the cop had said at the beginning. Yeah, of the like, do you, you just have, have the to courage? remember, yeah, to shoot someone in the back to know yeah. you'll get justice or but something. But it's such a great like character moment. Um, yeah, because they don't rub it; in, they don't make it so super on the nose. It's great. And then another notable scene is when they hang the da out the window. <laughs> Man, that seems intense. <laughs> it is really intense because they're like, he's like, oh, I invented good cop, bad cop, and then they like shove him out the like. 10 stories up of it, a window. It feels really <laughs> dangerous. Yeah. Like, it looks pretty real. <laughs> it looks real. It doesn't feel like, like in Batman Begins or something, when Batman's holding a guy, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like in this, if like, I remember watching it and being like, man, ugh, this looks really <laughs> I'm sure he had a wire on his leg or something, but yeah, it's like, man. <laughs> There's no CGI there. Yeah. Right? Not that I can tell. It looks pretty real. That's a good one. There are a lot of good scenes. It's a very uh, engaging movie. It is. It is a really good one. Um, so what makes this a standout noir, Michelle? So I feel like everybody in this movie is essentially a bad guy to different degrees. And I it shows sort of the absurdity of what justice means for yeah. everybody. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's the a story good stands out pretty the most. <laughs> I agree. This I... I I wrote that it's like, it's a stellar cast. I mean, that's really why it's just a great movie. Yeah. But um, it's got very murky mor- morals and a really great mystery. Mm-hmm. This is probably the least noirish of them. And it's almost kind of, I was just thinking about, how, it's kind of interesting in that like, the older school noirs, it's like, the point is these people make bad decisions and they pay for it. In this one, it's like, they make bad decisions and they get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's almost worse. So it's kind of interesting, but Yeah. I mean, this is a great movie that I always kind of forget about. So I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to rewatch it. And I'm glad we have a very cheap DVD copy of it. Got that right. <laughs> Maybe we'll add, get a better version of it. It does seem like most people have forgotten about this movie. Yeah. I mean, I maybe was that's at work. a Kevin Spacey thing, but. Yeah. And I was like, told someone I watched it and they're like, that movie is amazing. And it's like, yeah, I forgot how amazing it is. Yeah. I mean, I watched it like, let's see. The last time I watched it was, uh. 
how long ago? 2007. I mean, mine acts like I haven't seen it, so it's been, yeah, 2007 is probably when we watched Why, it. Why, isn't something weird? In 2007, I watched it on November 15th. On this <gasps> year, I watched it on November 14th. That's so weird. That keeps happening to me, too, yeah. with certain movies. It's like, I have to watch this movie in winter. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just like Hollywood perfection. It's yeah. It's done really, really well. Um, but yeah, I guess that wraps it up. Um, if we mm-hmm. if we did another one of these, just to, I'm gonna throw this in. If we did another one of these next year, or whenever, what would be some other noirs you you want to talk about and watch? It's hard to say because I had a hard time figuring out what noirs were now. <laughs> that count? Yeah. <laughs> like I have M on my list. Is that a noir? I don't mm, know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we watched some other ones recently that I would love to put on there. I mean, Kiss Me Deadly we talked about. Um, I mean, Sunset Boulevard's always great. Sunset Boulevard's really good. Uh, we, Gone we, Girl or Nightcrawler, if those count? Maybe. Gone Girl, for sure, I think would probably... I mean, it's a weird one, but it definitely would fall in there. Yeah, I don't know about Nightcrawler. Maybe. Um, I was going to say, I mean, we just recently rewatched The Big Lebowski, which would be a oh, really yeah, fun definitely one definitely that talk one. About. Um, I mean, another uh, No Country 2 would mm-hmm. probably fall in that mold. But yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of really good ones. And and there's yeah. a lot of really old school classic ones that we have not seen still. So yeah, there's probably a lot more 40s ones that we should visit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you love Kiss Me Deadly. Yeah. We've seen like the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, and, that one's all right. Oh, Body Heat. That one's great. Yeah. I've talked about neo-noir. it too many times. Well, yeah. And if you want to get into like really kind of neo noir stuff, there's like Blade Runner and. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Chinatown, I haven't seen in a yeah, long time. Chinatown's so good. Another problematic one. Yeah. <laughs> Forget it, Jake. <laughs> He's in the Amazon with your mother when she got bit by a spider or whatever. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, that was one of my favorite Twitter jokes about stupid Madam Spider or whatever. Um, all right. We've gone far afield. We have. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think that's it for our Noir Vember. We, we Noir Vember. We wish you all a happy Noir Vember. <laughs> Whatever's left of it. Yeah. Um, so that's it for this one. But don't forget, you can always see a list of all the movies, all five of the movies yeah, we talked about on it's our be Letterboxd. Yeah, a short Insta reel. Yeah. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Splice Together or Instagram. At Splice Together Podcast. Uh, let us know what noirs you watched for Noir November. And where you month. like to park your pants. Yeah, park your <laughs> pants and listen to this one. Uh, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Spice Together, together baby. Yeah.